Hello, hello, this is Postgres FM episode number 64. This is Nikolai and Michael. Hi, Michael. Hello, Nikolai. And we are going to talk about Postgres 16 yet another time. The release happened last Thursday, which is good, a week ago. What do you think in general? Oh, I'm really happy and I think it's great, always great to see another major version. The team's really impressive actually, shipping every year consistently, pretty much exactly every 12 months even. It's very impressive and lots of good things again. A couple of hundred features, we definitely can't list them all. I have seen and heard people's opinions that there weren't necessarily any huge features necessarily in this one, but I personally really like that they are continuing to improve some of the things that Postgres is best at. Continuing to improve on the reliability, uh, a few little features that help with that, continue to improve on SQL standard compliance and on performance, obviously my favorite topic, but uh, it's often a big reason for choosing Postgres. So I don't want to discount that these are um, important changes, even if they aren't necessarily uh, shiny, brand, like brand spanking new shiny features. Yeah, right, right. I'm in the camp uh, who say no breakthrough features in this release, obviously. There are several very good ones. I, I, w- I wish uh, I had already the, all of them on, on my production systems, but in general, yes, it's like convenience release. A lot of hard work, of course. You mentioned like 200 changes. And it's, by the way, it's normal number for last year's every every major release. It's roughly 200 200 something changes but I would like to say that without breakthrough features it's also good because it means it's less uh, like it's more reliable DBS should love it because you have a lot of improvements and imagine if uh, for example threads idea already was implemented in this release <laughs> I would wait probably until 16.10 or 20 before trying it on production but uh, with this the system is becoming mature in terms of features it's already providing they are improving improving like logical replication it was added many many years ago six right or how many years ago in postgres 10 right i think yes so. wow six years ago now you're right That's and uh, it was not super complete in the beginning of course and then logical decoding originally right uh, right and now last few years a lot of very good improvements again still several things in to do and i hope 17 will have more things uh, like the deprecation of ddl but uh, this release uh, adds two important improvements for logical replication and, and decoding and it becomes Maybe more than two, right? And it becomes, yeah, definitely more than two. And it becomes uh, more like mature. It means that uh, upgrading should be less risky. And uh, we just benefit in terms of performance and features and uh, capabilities, so like replication from physical standbys. Super good, I think. So my point is uh, this is not breakthrough release, but it should be adapted with less effort. And sooner, I think. I wish yeah, the upgrade process was uh, simple. We discussed it many times. Of course, upgrades, upgrade is always uh, 
a task. But uh, once, if you already use, for example, Postgres 14 and you go to 16 or 15 to 16, it's just a lot of good things to have, and risks are not super. Not, not risks are not super high as it, as as it, as it would bring uh, threats or something like changing source code, fifty uh, percent of source code or something. So yeah, yeah, I love seeing it that way. I hadn't considered it through that lens, but yeah, great point. Yeah, DBAs are conservative guys. Usually, they prefer some reliable software to run. So I I expect sixteen should be very reliable because it just it polishing things and improving many many small pieces yeah well even developers are quite keen on their database uh, just working uh, in inverted commas um, so i think there is a it's a big selling point of postgres is that it's been around for so long uh, it has been you know it's run by sensible people uh, smart sensible people who are also risk averse so yeah, that's cool. And as you say, logical replication is continuing to improve. And two headline features, uh, well, two out of the seven or eight features that get called out in the at the top of the release notes are logical replication related. Would you like to start with those? Yeah, let's discuss it. Uh, first of all, performance improvements for long transactions, right? So it can be processed in, in parallel mode on, on subscriber, which is like improvement which is uh, transparent uh, for you if you use logical replication and you have longer transactions, you just benefit from it, that's it. And this is good because usually we, if we have a, a bottleneck on the subscriber side, as we discussed last in last episode, which was about yeah. logical replication. By the way, it's natural for us to start with logical because we are still in that context. So if you have a bottlenecks on the subscriber side, usual trick is to use multiple slots and multiple subscriptions, publication subscriptions. But it's it has downsides, as we discussed. Foreign keys uh, violation is normal mm-hmm. for this case, or you need to say, I, I want foreign keys to be maintained all the time, but then you will have lags. So like it's it's quite tricky. And if you use a single slot, single subscription, Obviously, you don't have a lot of choice how to speed it up. But now for long transactions, it's already improved automatically, transparently for you. It's a good thing. Another thing is that you can uh, logically replicate from physical standbys, which is a very, very good thing to have because we usually say like it's a risk to, to have a higher load on the primary. Of course, it's just if it's just one wall sender and you have many CPUs, it won't saturate your CPU or disk or something, but if there is another risk to be out of disk space uh, on the primary, and uh, but it, it can be mitigated using re- relatively new setting. I don't remember the name, but you can say I don't want to reach to exceed some specific threshold for my slots. Yeah. So yeah, but still, I don't. I, I just don't want to mess up with primary in any way and uh, I can now move to this to secondaries it's very good for I mean logically replicate or for to other systems like such as like snowflake or a click house or something for analytical needs exactly that's the use case I have heard for it somebody asked me if this was possible a couple of years ago and I had to say unfortunately not because they they wanted to 
replicate to, I think it was actually Redshift, just for analytical purposes, and they didn't want to put that extra load on their primary, but they had a replica doing nearly nothing, you know, right. serving some read queries, but, but it was a little bit out, you know, they, if, if it's asynchronous, I think they had it set up asynchronously, they didn't mind if their analytics were, you know, however much their lag was out of date, it didn't matter that much. Right. So there's, that feels like a really good use case for this. It's also related to uh, how we, how logical replication survives switchover or failover, but it's not that. I mean, I saw the, uh, this work is still in progress, uh, and uh, we discussed Patroni implements some workaround to survive failovers, mm -hmm. uh, but it, it's about primary. So if you have sl logical slots on primary, how not to lose them if failover happens? This is the question. Yeah. Uh, I think here we also have a question. If this secondary is down, we don't want to start from scratch, right? Oh, two more features about logical I, I now remember. One is related to the ability to filter by origin, right? It's like multi-master is, is native now. Yeah, so this, well, uh, oh, be careful. I saw a very excited blog post about this saying whatever multi-primary is now possible and showing you how you can set up writes from two different nodes uh, synchronizing to each other because lo logical replication, you can now filter any that came in, uh, I forget in the wording that they used for it, but any that came in on that origin. node can get replicated. Yes, origin, perfect. But any that came in via replication, you don't send out again. So if you were told it by a different node, but there, there's a ton of issues with that, aren't there? Without this feature, you have uh, infinite loop risk. Right, so yeah. like you replicated something, uh, it, it, so it was uh, replayed, written to a wall, and it, it got replicated back, and you have uh, infinite loop. Uh, and so this uh, mm -hmm. feature allows you to break this loop and replicate only your like local changes, not those which were already replayed by you from like from different origin, right? And do you think I was wrong, like saying it's not a big release because? Imagine this could be named as like multi-master support is there, is here. Why not? I don't think it's a good idea. And I know you're joking, or at least teasing me, but I think it's dangerous. To I'm partially that. joking. Yeah. Why? I think it's dangerous because I think people would actually use it for that. And then they would end up having loads of issues around data synchronization or, you know, basically I think there was a good blog post by Crunchy Data who just showed the most basic version of updating uh, a row on one of them, leaving the transaction open just so, in order to make it really easy to demonstrate, updating the same row but with a different update on the second primary, then letting them both go through and you end up with, in fact, <laughs> ironically I guess, with each one getting the other one's change but not their own. So it's, yeah, I think there's there's problems that people wouldn't anticipate. Can we say now that Postgres natively supports uh, multi-master uh, topologies? With an asterisk? <laughs> I that don't would know. be my argument. Right, okay. Well, I think multi-master is intentional uh, split brain, right? Okay, there you go. And, and still we have a question how fast is to replay logical, replica, logical replicate, like if, for example, some update updated thousands of tuples, uh, how cheaper it is in terms of I/O and operation CPU as well on, on the subscriber side compared to the publisher side. 
it's actually not trivial but also not simple not, not trivial but also not super difficult benchmark to do I, I wish I I checked it already it's, it's an interesting question because I remember BDR claim that replaying is cheaper we discussed it yes and uh, if it's indeed in, in some cases cheaper then in some cases it's good to have such topologies and multi-master approach bidirectional logical replication mm -hmm. And, and if a customer if a customer asked you if they should set up a, a multi multi primary setup with Postgres sixteen tomorrow, what would you say? Well, uh, so right now I will I will stick with my regular uh, answer. You don't want a multi master, and then we dive into details and explain wh why. But still, like mm -hmm. for we can say already Postgres supports such topologies. Okay. Okay, let's 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 change the topic. Yeah. Also logical. There is interesting feature. Um, we also discussed it, but like related to what we discussed, I explained in last episode. I explained how to convert physical replica to logical replica. Yeah. And interesting that in Postgres 16 you can specify that you want to initialize your in your logical replica. You you want to initialize table using binary format. I missed that. I never tried it, but as I understand, it's a similar thing. I mean, bloat will be preserved, and it's it's faster. I mean, indexes just copy it as files. You don't need to wait uh, your subscriber now to re re rebuild them, right? So this is what my understanding cool. of this feature. Again, I haven't tried it. I tried different like recipe involving recovery target LSN, which we discussed last time. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting. Like I think I will use it in many cases because it's like yeah, cool. now, now natively supported, and I can just provision my logical replica, preserving all the all the bloat, right? <laughs> but I mean, I mean, downside you 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 don't lose the bloat. It's it's not it's kind of not you're losing this benefit. But good thing is that it's faster than dump restore approach, which is default. And natively support it, right? Like it just feels right. less. Uh, there's less moving parts on your side. Less things. Just that you can SQL. Do. Just one SQL yeah. command, and you you have it. It's good. So mm -hmm. maybe enough logical today. Let's there's a switch. good segue. Yeah, there's a good segue. Uh, you mentioned the parallelization, and it's not the only additional performance improvement around that. So that there was some planner improvements to allow parallelization of more join types, full joins and right outer joins, I think. Right. Uh, I'm curious why right, not left. I don't see many right joins in the wild, but plenty of full, like full joins. Or do you see more? I, I write them sometimes. Well, <laughs> I, I oh, really? why not? It depends on, on your point of view, you know. It's all relative, right? Some languages have right to left uh, writing also. So <laughs> some people write with left hand, some people write with right hand. It depends. And sometimes you start, uh, if you have diff like quite complex query, you might want to add one more table in the list of your source source tables. And it might happen, right? John is more convenient for you. Of course, I, I, I agree. Left is more like more popular because because uh, of the way how we write queries. <laughs> I write write queries, why not? I write uh, all the types of queries. 
Yeah, let's maybe move away from ah, parallelization. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about performance. What else about performance? There's one more that mentions it in the headline features, although I think it's possibly more on the kind of reliability maintenance front, but improved performance of vacuum freezing. It's from Peter Gagan about uh, much less bytes written to wall, right? Like 5x uh, improvement. Yeah. And it's a part of different work. It's part of uh, um, reconsider reconsideration of how to f perform freezing like more proactively, I think, as I remember. Yeah, that. exactly. And, and to avoid, well, so this is why I think it's more reliability related because it's to avoid those heavy anti-wraparound vacuums that we've talked about several times tripping you up on various things. So I think it's more around the kind of making making vacuum more predictable and not as likely to, you know, hit us when we least expect it. So I think that's really cool. It's a performance improvement in a way, but the benefits are further reaching, I think. And then the, the other big performance one I did want to call out yeah, uh, was... So, sorry, I just, oh. like, I just, I, I smiled a little bit because I, I have a to-do to-read to list on the article this morning from LloydDB, Google, Google Cloud. Oh, yeah. Uh, about uh, adapt how they implemented adaptive auto vacuum, which is interesting. Like also to to re to read about this. I mean AI performing vacuum. Many people dream about getting rid of vacuum completely, right? But let's uh, let's uh, AI solve this problem. Not getting. I don't know. Like I I, I need to read Wait. about it. I really like the approach Peter's taking and presumably others as well, but I, re I think he actually explained this quite well around the indexing changes he was making, but he seems to be doing the same around vacuum, which is trying to improve the efficiency of how it works and when it works. So sometimes doing a little bit more work up front to save lots of work in the future. That, that to me seems so smart and so like it makes so much sense for that to be in the database. Like, uh, so, and it's it's not like artificial intelligence. It's just using deterministic approaches. You know, if if you can do a little bit extra work now to save more expensive work in the future, right. maybe that's worth the overhead. Right. Uh, in in Postgres thirteen and fourteen, uh, the optimization related to B three, and the word deduplication, as I understand, appears here again. Uh, this uh, optimization for wall writes from freezing. It's uh, it's also idea of deduplication. Am I right? Or no? I've seen that word as well. I wish yeah. I understood it. I think we have maybe we have to have a Pete one at some point to ask him the, the details. But yeah, it. I tried reading up on some of this stuff and it started hurting my head. Well, many more, many very small like local uh, optimizations happened as well. I, I like the the idea to improve set config performance. It's interesting, like uh, if you use a lot of changes of uh, GUC, Postgres parameters, maybe you have your own Postgres parameters, including dot, you, ha you can say blah, blah, dot, blah, blah, and uh, assign some string to it. So this like became like much faster, maybe like 10x or more. Uh, yeah, and, I saw your note about that. Yeah, yeah. And also... Who doesn't think there are enough Postgres parameters already and creates their own extra ones? That's some brave people. I do it all the time. What do you create? 
I mean, first of all, extensions do it. I don't get your joke, so I'm asking. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Example, extensions what, what make what sense. Yeah, of should know about it. Also, yep. sometimes I put a lot of settings there. Sometimes I prefer putting settings for application settings in a table, but sometimes I put them as GUC, goods, gook, gook. Uh, yeah. Just I say like up dot something equals something. For example, if you if you use Postgres, it's natural for you like to put something mm -hmm. to as um, uh, gook uh, uh, parameter. It it makes some sense, uh, and uh, it's good to have several cho choices, and you just choose what's more convenient and uh, secure and efficient and so on. Another very small but interesting optimization: um, wall receiver is more smart in terms of waking up. If you have a server which is not doing anything, wall receiver will be doing much less work. And also, promote trigger file was removed to avoid some checks. So it looks, you know, it looks like I've read one article. I don't remember in which uh, it looks like. This idea to optimize these two parts looks like an attempt to save energy. You know? <laughs> if you're if you're not using po some Postgres server, it should do less movements, right? And not to like it's eco-friendly changes. <laughs> it's funny. Maybe maybe we shouldn't be doing checkpoints every five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and also create wall. This uh, is also timeout when new wall is created filled with zeros right so like maybe also like it's an interesting i remember discussion mm -hmm. about checkpoint timeout ah log checkpoint uh, it, it became default a couple of year versions and years ago right and i remember discussion like uh, it's bad because it will produce records to log and if nobody is using server you we are filling the log why but it was made because benefits from having this log checkpoint on by default much, are much better because we need that information. Speaking of which, uh, in 16, as I remember, now we can see in checkpoint log messages, we see LSN positions of uh, checkpoint itself and the redo starting point, which is sometimes good oh, cool. to troubleshoot. Yeah. So there is a lot of small convenience things. I, I think it's a convenience release, a reliable convenience release. Like this is what my impression, and, and which is not a, not a bad thing at all. Right. What else so we One, should discuss? Yeah, well, a brand new thing is the pgstat.io view that we've talked oh, about yeah. before. Yeah, uh, the author is Melanie Pledgeman, am I? Yeah. Yes. And I, I have no idea if you're pronouncing it right, but yes. Right, I was at, at PGCon and was at, at her talk. So it was good talk and uh, congratulations. This is very noticeable contribution and people need it. I personally am going to use it all the time and I, I hope observability tools developers will integrate this to their like dashboards and so on, for example, net data and so on. Uh, it's this is a good thing to have, uh, and it provides IO buffer our favorite buffers, but globally for database, right? Which it doesn't provide and timings. It, yeah, timings and many details. It's good. You understand who is doing work. IO work is the most expensive in databases, and in most cases, slow means a lot of work needs to be done, right? A lot of IO work in databases because yeah. I. 
a database as an application which is IO intensive application, right? So IO bound, we usually IO bound. And the main thing to understand about this uh, new system view is that it's, it's at Postgres level at, for a buffer pool, it's not about disk, it's about buffer pool. So abstraction yeah. is high. Uh, it means that if you see a lot of IO numbers, maybe they are, if it, if it says reads, maybe it's reads from buffer pool, for buffer pool from page cache and under buffer pool we have page cache. So maybe it's still all about memory. We don't know at this level. So reads is, is not disk reads, it's reads from the page cache to buffer pool. Or it could be either, but we don't know, right? Yeah, at this level we don't know. So we need to consult, for example, mm -hmm. Proc.io uh, using our process IDs yeah. or some different tool. But it's already very good. Like, I mean, for at this level, it's super important to have and useful. Ah, and also, it doesn't track some IO. It tracks IO only related to the buffer pool. It doesn't track IO, for example, wall writes or reads. It, exactly. Yeah. But but it does for like auto vacuum. You, you mentioned you're going to use this all the time. What what kind of thing do you imagine yourself using it for? So if we have a problem in any analysis, we need to divide two segments. It's about budgeting, it's about uh, performance optimization, anything. You need to s perform some segmentation to understand uh, where to dive in further. And this is perfect starting point. So I understand, okay, we database is slow, some developer says. They, they like to say this. Database is slow. We look at this, better to draw this in terms of like a graph, colorful graph, with segments, mm -hmm. okay. This I/O is from backends. This I/O is from checkpoint, or this I/O is from auto vacuum uh, workers, and so on. And I quickly understand where the most work is done. Is it about backends yeah. or checkpoint or, or where? And then I then I can go to pgstat I/O tables indexes or to pgstat statements. I can go down to pgstat k cache if I have it. This is, will be physical level for queries, or I can analyze uh, weight events. Also, additionally, this is, I mean, this is perfect starting point for performance troubleshooting. Makes sense. And also, I guess, to, if you, you could rule out that it's an IO problem. I know it probably, probably will be, but if there's nothing lighting up here in your monitoring of this view, you can also rule out that it's uh, either that it's IO related or that it's uh, maybe right. it's wall related. But. Yeah. Yeah, we have we we discussed monitoring and troubleshooting and we have some kind of run book. Uh, and also a list yeah. of what which what monitoring should have and troubleshooting runbook number one means like you have 30 seconds you need to understand which directions to dig and i'm almost sure we will include pgstat.io in versions for postgres 16 and, and newer so as a starting point for this quick and shallow analysis as wide as you can and very shallow yeah, this should be a part of methodology, I guess, for troubleshooting of performance. Yeah, yeah. and and on in terms of tooling, it was um, the PG Analyze team. Lucas and one of the developers were involved in reviews of this, so I'm pretty sure they'll be adding it to uh, yeah. PG Analyze. I, I, I suspect likely. it's already there. Yeah, mm -hmm. very likely. Okay. Next thing I had, um, I think it's important. Not because I've heard many people talking about it for 16, but because people talked about it so much being reverted from 15, it was the SQL JSON stuff. So the SQL standard um, constructors and uh, identity functions. 
these were reverted from 15 because uh, they weren't quite ready. Um, and it was a big deal. Lots of people were saying they were disappointed. And now that they've been added, or at least most of them, um, so I was a bit surprised that they didn't make a lot of um, a lot of the various things I've seen on Postgres 16 already. So yeah, I think it's cool, and I think standard uh, compliance is important. I hear about it quite often when people say why they're moving to Postgres or why they're picking Postgres in the first place. So I know this work can sometimes be thankless. So I, uh, I just wanted to say I appreciate this, all that hard work. Well, yeah, Postgres SQL for many cases uh, is standard de facto already. I mean, it's syntax. And we know a couple of Postgres folks are are members of SQL standard committee, and which is good. And of course, uh, supporting standard is always good. I wish, like I, I, I work with JSON in SQL context all the time. I wish uh, the syntax was uh, less bloated and there are ideas how to change it, but it would require change of grammar, heavy change of grammar. But still, like, I agree with you, standard support is a good thing to have. On this note, syntax, I think breakthrough change is now we don't need to specify alias for subqueries in from. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. it hits everyone, everyone like who writes SQL at some point, uh, you see this error for sure. A very so, helpful error. It, it does tell you exactly what you're doing wrong, but it doesn't. Yeah, uh, it says just it, add as alias. Yeah. And I think it's not standard, this change. I suspect the standard requires you to need one, but I suspect I know other databases. I think this has come up quite a lot in migrations, like migrations yeah. from other databases that don't force you to do this. And it's, it must be quite annoying. This is exactly my point. Uh, here we probably uh, deviate from standard, but uh, for the sake of easier migrations, uh, it's a good thing to have. But I personally, I'm going to stop writing those aliases. Closing parentheses and uh, space underscore was always already... I have a habit already writing this, but now I can drop this. Well, not now. In a couple of years when production systems will be on 16, <laughs> I will, I'm going to drop this habit. Yeah. Which is good. Uh, like more convenient. Yeah. Uh, sp uh, slightly back to performance. Um, I'm one of guys who like to use some kind of newer... It's not new already, but newer SQL syntax. For example, you can order by inside aggregate aggregate function, which is interesting. Sometimes, uh, yeah. for example, for DBA, for example, you select from pages activity, and you you group somehow. For example, by state, right? Idle, active, idle transaction, and you want a couple of examples, few examples of queries. You cut them using left function, for example, taking only like 10 first characters. And then you aggregate using string AGG or array AGG. And, and then you think, oh, okay, I don't want arbitrary examples. I want like the, the longest lasting queries, for example. And you say inside string AGG or array AGG, you, you write right inside the, there, you write order by uh, query start or exact start and it limits uh, limit will be applied uh, using array indexes uh, different but you order by inside aggregation you can specify order so when I used it I always understood that uh, it's not going to benefit from any indexes it will be in memory so it's quite 
not scalable approach. I mean, not perf performance is not good. If I have billion rows, uh, I probably won't do it. But for persistent activity, it's good. So now uh, the planner can use indexes to support this order by inside aggregate, aggregate functions, which is good. And also distinct inside. You can write, uh, you can write distinct inside it also. So oh, st cool. string edgg distinct. This uh, this support all, was always there, but uh, it was not benefiting from indexes. Now it can benefit from indexes. Yeah, so, these planner yeah. improvements are they quite get quite in detail, but all of these things add up, right? It's yeah. very cool that it can do that. Yeah. What else? Uh, and and uh, and hundred fifty more changes, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Which we don't have time to cover. <laughs> yeah. What about just generally? You mentioned like updating pr production in a couple of years. Um, I see people. I see some people upgrading every year, or at least you know most years. But they don't seem to be in the majority. Every couple of years does seem to be really popular. I know there is overhead to doing major version upgrades. I think that's the reason. Is there like what? Is there anything else you wanted to add there? About upgrades, that's a huge topic. We really no, no, no. About about like should people upgrade how often should they upgrade is it okay to still have like a postgres 12 instance lying around and just no, keeping no, it up no, to date no, on no. the so usually you you should you should upgrade minor upgrades uh, the newest in most cases but again like uh, enterprise approach should involve proper testing in lower environments but mm -hmm. for major versions uh, it depends on each case but in general uh, Old school recommendation is wait until, for example, 16.2, a cup of three, it will be already third uh, minor version, zero, one, two, right? And then upgrade. If you have uh, some kind of critical system. But here again, my point is that for 16, probably we have more stable release because not half of source code was rewritten. Mm -hmm. How Postgres build was changed dr drastically. Right, moving to Mason, new system to build. Uh, which oh is yeah, the same system for all operation. Like the same approach uh, now is used for uh, Linux, FreeBSD, uh, macOS, Windows. So it's a newer approach, and a lot of legacy was removed. But it's uh, it's it's behind the curtain for users, right? You don't see this because you just take the binaries. It's good for the Postgres developers and for people testing patches. Yeah, yeah. So more unified and uh, more modern approach to build Postgres, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Actually, one one thing I really did want to say quickly, and I, I'm surprised we haven't had more requests for this, is that I think probably the biggest thing that's happened to Postgres in the past year is outside of Postgres itself, which is I think the PG Vector extension. I suspect we're going to do a whole episode on it at some point yes we um, should we should but it's cool because of the extensibility that these massive changes can happen outside of uh, the, the major version release cycle so yeah i uh, have different opinion here so i think uh, pg vector uh, should be part of postgres as soon as possible but obviously it, it would mean that uh, releases would, would happen only once per year, which is currently for PG Vector is quite slow because the pace of development is super high right now. But yeah, if it absolutely. if it's still like uh, like if it's third party extension continues to be so like it's also losing some. 
attention. If you, for example, JSON was in core, right? In, right away. Yeah. And we, this, this was good. It's kind of why I wanted to bring it up because it could easily have been something that, that was decided to be put into Postgres, but I imagine it would have taken an extra couple of years and maybe it still will. Maybe that is what will happen, but it's really cool that it can be out there in the wild, getting quick releases that aren't tied to the Postgres major version like cycle. And if it is in all the major cloud providers already, it kind of is in Postgres, like it is in a way, because anybody that self-hosts can install it and anybody on cloud I don't can. agree here because okay. uh, uh, if you check, for example, uh, uh, versions are maybe very old, for example, they, they, upgrade, uh, they upgrade slowly and so uh, well, Good point. Also, some providers that still don't support it and... And also, if it goes to core, there are two paths. It can be uh, as contrib module, like official, officially supported extension, which is already good. Or it can go directly to core. And, you know, I, I imagine a lot of discussions when people think uh, to, what to choose Postgres or a specific vector database to store vectors, or I don't know, Elastic or others. They all support vectors, uh, either by third-party extensions as well or in core. I think uh, a support in core can be argument for choices. This is like argument, it's very high level argument, not very diving to details, but some people might think, oh, if it's in core, it's better supported, you know? And you cannot say, like you can try to convince, no, 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 so every, every like RDS adds support. Cloud SQL adds support, by the way, it added, right? Uh, Cloud SQL, there was yeah, a question. It did. Recently, it only. did, but I think not not the latest version, not zero point five point zero, which is important an important release. So you do make a good point on they might support it, but is it up to date? Without HNSW indexes, right? Yeah, which is everyone wants yeah. right now, almost everyone. Yeah. So by the way, about PG Vector, someone did very very good point in my Twitter when I was discussing it, saying that you know with HNSW indexes. Uh, it breaks the rule, like indexes should not change what is returned by query. But these approximate neighbor search, they will produce different results. Like without index, you have one result. With index, you have different result. And this probably like the thing Postgres never had. I mean, never had in core. It can, extensions can, yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I've heard that that is a reason for not including it. But yeah, we'll see, I guess. I think it should be in core because it's it, it it will like Postgres is good at JSON. It should be good at vectors, obviously. So, but yeah, I understand some. Anyway, sorry for the detour. But I thought that was worth adding. It's a Thank good, you so it's, much. It's a good topic. I I think for future, it's a very interesting and uh, very attractive for many. Uh, very attractive topic. Okay, thank you for Thank interesting discussion as usual and let's let, let's remind our uh, listeners that uh, we need feedback either in terms of subscriptions likes or maybe comments and suggestions what to talk about and we still continue working on subtitles uh, all new episodes have them we are improving so feel free to use them uh, and uh, just also give us feedback, please, on Twitter or on YouTube or anywhere else. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.